Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today we're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde, normally on a Monday, but because the USC situation happened, hiring Coach Clay Helton as the permanent head coach, we had to postpone the podcast for Coach Harvey Hyde a couple of days, so we apologize for that, but we got a lot of questions you guys have sent in. We'll try to get to as many as we can. If you have questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can give us a call at 641 615-3900, extension 816-646, and leave a brief voicemail if you can. If they're really long, we're not going to play them on the air. You can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail there as well on the left side of the page. And if you want to subscribe on iTunes, go to itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. It's a great way to download the show with your with iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And, of course, leave us uh, some positive feedback. Five stars would be wonderful. It helps disseminate the show out to other Trojan fans. So let's bring in the coach, Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. Pretty simple. What's up, Coach? How are you? Well, buddy, it's Wednesday, so we're right in the middle of the week as far as getting ready for Stanford. Uh, Talking about the victory bell that the USC got from beating UCLA. We've got a new football coach uh, as far as uh, the interim's been uh, eliminated, uh, Clay Helton. So, uh, I don't know where to start, Ryan. I'm going to let you sort of uh, call the play, okay? I'll, I'll call the play in the huddle, and we'll let you run with it. But we, we got to see, Coach, that victory bell at practice earlier today at USC. So it's back, and the players were ringing it. Coach Helton was ringing it. It's a big deal uh, getting that back. It's all painted cardinal and gold now instead of blue and gold. So the, the players seem really happy to have that bell back. Well, I'm glad they have it back. It's been a, a while, and... Uh... It was a great accomplishment as far as the Trojans going out and uh, really uh, hammering UCLA, I thought, 40-21. to 21. They dominated the second half. They really uh, almost put it to UCLA where they surrendered. I sort of thought they surrendered. In fact, I was surprised at how they didn't really compete when they got behind. They, they were beat on the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively. Uh, USC did what it needed to be doing the entire year. He created turnovers again, as they did in the Utah game in Arizona State, where they were uh, attacking on defense. Uh, their penalties were minimal. Uh, they executed the play called. They uh, took the, the snap under center. They ran more eye formation than they ever had. They, they ran the football and the play action pass. And, you know, they were so. Uh, you ran the ball so much, they just begged for you to throw the pass. <laughs> Through the pass. You know, you had the big touchdown in there. So time of possession, exactly what Stanford had done to USC, 40 minutes to 20 minutes. I've been sick of seeing bubble screens, and I didn't see any bubble screens for the first time, which was nice to see as far as, you know, staying on schedule, not doing too much, just doing what you have to do to win and be yourself. Find an identity, and I think they found an identity on the Saturday against UCLA, and I think people liked it. The fans liked it. The kids liked it. The coaches liked it. 
And the same thing on defense. They lined up and played man defense. They didn't get confused. They said, I got this guy, you got that guy, and you take him wherever he goes. And it was easily understood. And they, they put pressure on um, on the quarterback, which he doesn't like. Josh doesn't like pressure. And I think uh, Rasheen Green put a hit on him once, and he said, that's it for me today. <laughs> and, and then they really threw him off. But it was a great game for you. For USC, they should be very proud of it. But, Ryan, we'll talk about this as we go along. I'm a little concerned as far as now the preparation for Stanford because I think there's been too much celebration after that win and then the naming of Coach Helton, and I don't know if the focus is there. It's scaring me oh, as yeah. far as the focus being there for Stanford. Well, yeah, we'll get into that. Um, we want to talk about you know getting ready for Stanford we got to talk about Clay Helton being the permanent head coach. And we have a bunch of questions about the UCLA game, so we'll try to get to all those. We'll start with the UCLA game first. And just want to thank our sponsor before we jump into that, Southern California Tickets. So they've been helping us for a long time, sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, concerts, you want to go to a sporting event, you want to go to the theater, anything like that, you can go to sctickets.com and they will help you out like they help us out, and they've been doing that for years. And we'll have a message from them at the end of the show too, and uh, so we'll we'll try to get through. There's we have a lot of questions again, and I know you know we we always like to get through them all. We just couldn't last week; it was just too many. Um, this is our third podcast of the week already, Coach. So I've been doing a lot of talking, and we got more planned. Um, but so let's start with some UCLA questions. Is that cool? Yeah, fine. Anything you want. All right. So Nick from Cyprus wrote in. This is a simple one. Well, simple question. I don't know if the answer is simple. What do you think the difference was between USC this year and UCLA the past three years? Uh, I don't know if there's much difference. I think the biggest difference is the quarterback play. Uh, UCLA has really hurt USC in the past years with the running ability of their quarterback, Hundley. He really hurt them with the keeps. He really hurt them with uh, the uh, draws up the middle. Uh, his ability to really... Uh, take advantage of the perimeter of the defense. Rosen, they don't like to run Rosen. Rosen doesn't like to run. So you knew where he was, and you knew how to go after him. They're basically somewhat of a same type of scheme USC has where their quarterback doesn't really run the ball. You know where Kessler's going to be. The play-action pass to the inside off the option really doesn't scare anybody, but you know that he's not going to keep the ball. And I think that's the biggest change as far as offensively is Hundley really had was a great athlete and could run the football. And he was more of a seasoned player. He'd been around a while. Now Josh had a great year, Rosen had a great year, but he's still a freshman. And uh, I think that Hundley was farther ahead, could do more things with him uh, with that offense. And uh, I think that's the biggest change as far as on the offensive side because they basically had – everybody back, uh, the running back, receivers, everybody's back. So, And the offensive line is basically back and should be more experienced. So I think the biggest part of the offensive change is the quarterback situation. And I think on the defensive side, they're not as physical, and the loss of Miles Jack really hurt them. I mean, Jack's a tremendous athlete, a great player, and Vanderdose is a great player. And uh, the corner that they lost is a great player. They lost some great players, players on the defensive side. Now, I know USC has lost some players, too, so that they both have had that type of season. But I think it basically hurt USC more as far as losing tremendous players like Miles Jack and 
and Vanderdose where they weren't where they weren't able to cover it up and they didn't have the depth to do that. And I think their second day was not as strong as it's been in the past. So I really think that's what the difference of the game was. The special teams-wise, going into the game, I was scared. I thought UCLA special teams were awesome, and here he is missing a field goal. The UCLA kicker, Wood goes two for two. Woods does, and uh, Adore runs a punt back. So uh, the special teams portion of USC's game was better this year than a year ago. So I think that's the biggest difference between the two years. All right, uh, let's go on. To Scott, he said, still pumped after last weekend. The UCLA game was a big win for our program at a time we really needed it. I like the changes we made to the defense, stacking the box to stop the run and playing man coverage. Uh, it lets our athletes be athletes and showcase their talents. Do you expect a similar defensive approach this weekend? And if so, how effective would that be against Stanford? Love the show. Thanks for the great analysis and input. Fight on. Scott in the Couve. Couve. I'm not sure where Couve would be. What's the Couve? C-O-U-V. Vancouver. That's where. So Scott in Vancouver. Okay. That's what it would be. Good. I'm glad you figured that out for me. <laughs> but Because maybe it would have been an audible or something that I wouldn't have been able to pick up. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I think that you you should do things you do well. The number one thing you've always heard me say, do things that you do well and where you feel comfortable in doing it. And the athlete can't you know, you take the athletic ability out of an athlete when you when he's thinking. You've heard me say this over and over and over. And when you're not confused, you can really use your athletic ability. Now, UCLA really doesn't have the receivers. So, I mean, let's be re- honest. Jordan's a good route guy, but he's not a speed guy. Massington was a reject from USC. Nothing against Massington. So was Jordan. So was DeWardy. They weren't offered by USC. Yet they'd had great success, and at the end of the game, they were going to Dewarty because he's a bigger type of receiver, and they were able to catch some balls. Now, when you look at Stanford, Stanford's receivers are huge. Rector, uh, Hopper, uh, the other kid, they're all 6'4", 6'5", receivers. So what they do is they create mismatches. When they go to their pro set or slot set, it's hard to play man against a guy that is four inches taller than you or five inches taller than you, yet that's the best way you like to play defense. So you've got to be able to understand the mismatches that David Shaw throws at you. David Shaw is a real sharp coach. He doesn't change his offense. It's the same exact offense. He's run over and over and over. He will not change his defense. He believes in what we do, we continue to do, we don't change it, because that's what we've learned to do. And he does it. You'll see the unbalanced line. You'll see the traps. You'll see the powers off tackle. He's going to run that against every single person he plays. You're not going to see anything new. You might see a few counters off of it. You might see some uh, things, uh, a reverse out of it. You'll see some things that, you know, keep everybody honest. But his basic offense is pound you play action pass, put Kevin Hogan back there, let him throw the big receivers. That's what he wants to do. And he does a great job of doing that, the mismatches. These kids make one-handed catches. They catch touchdown passes when they're thrown way above the defensive back where the only way the defensive back can defend him is to have a pass interference penalty. So he's real good at that. They have three receivers that are 6'4", 
they're not extremely fast, but they're great route guys. And the timing is there, and it's very, very difficult to get to Hogan because of their offensive line. So it's a difficult task to get to Stanford, and they have ball control. So it's going to be a difficult feat. They've been averaging about 36 points a game, the same as UCLA has. But they've been giving up a lot of points on the defensive side of the football. You know, they gave up 36 points against Notre Dame. They got beat by Oregon. They gave up 38 points against Oregon. So you've got to be able to slow them down. You won't necessarily always stop them. But you can't let them have ball control on you where you don't have a chance to get your offense back on the field. So I think what they have to do is stack the box. They have to stop the run and force them to throw the football. And you've got to guess on throwing the football whether you're going to come after them or if you're going to play man and wait back there and do your best against those receivers. So I think the best way to say this is mix it up. Give them everything. There's nothing to hold back. Don't worry about anything, but you're playing for it all. So uh, by having the opportunity of playing them early, you've had a chance to play against those guys. It'll help you more than it'll help Stanford because I think that once you play a team like that and you learn the moves of those big guys, you have a chance to understand how they beat you before. And USC beaches you, beat you on just great skilled athletes. They're sort of like Notre Dame, except they don't have the quarterback that runs like Kaiser. But if you watch a Notre Dame game against Stanford, a lot of big plays. Fuller, uh, the, the running back, uh, I forget his name, Adams or whatever it is, rushed for 130 yards. They get a lot of big plays. And I think that's the type of game this is going to be. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's go to Dennis in Lancaster. He says, with Adoree playing safety to cover the slot receiver, do you see that as a permanent move when we play passing teams? Love the show and fight on from Dennis. Yeah, I would think it would be. I would think uh, when it works, why change it? At least people were covering. And I'll tell you, the passes, when you watch it, they played a press, man. They were on you like glue. I mean, that's the way I love to see man defense being played. I mean, they were all over you when they did complete a pass man the guy was all over him it had to be a perfect shot and it sort of throws off quarterbacks when they have to thread the needle every single time and uh, they were close sometimes of having pass interference they were on him so close but that's the way you play man defense and i think they have the talent usc to play that type of defensive secondary and i think it allows the guys up front to have more fun to go after people to get sacked to get excited Look what happens. Uh, Pallone gets in there, strips the football. Green picks the football up and runs for a touchdown. Now that's having fun playing defense. And also three turnovers as far as on the defensive side of the football, counting the interceptions and the touchdown and the punt return. That's what you call exciting football. So you got to have fun playing on the defensive side of the football. If you make the play, you did the right thing. So that's the type of attitude you have to take to the defensive front, the front seven this week to go against Stanford, who's going to be a real challenge. Challenge has a, they have a great offensive line, but you know, that's what you have to do to be great teams. What team are you going to play that's a great football team that doesn't have a great offensive line or defensive line? Because we all know that's where the game's won and lost in the offensive defensive line, just like last week when USC beat UCLA. Where did they beat them? Up front. They dominated the line of scrimmage. They ran the football. They they uh, they went after a, 
uh, a defense, an offensive line that had only allowed one sack a game, and they went after him and they punished him. They they harassed him. They played great defense. In fact, it almost looked, and I said this earlier, I thought UCLA gave up. I really did. Yeah, I think a lot of people did at the end of that game. Um, all right, well, let's move on. Eric in Indiana, coach. He said, after watching the UCLA game, I noticed the defense played possibly its best game of the season. And the offensive line played really well considering the injuries. They actually played eight different guys on the offensive line, kind of switching in and out. Uh, should the credit go to Coach Helton for forcing scheme changes, or have Bob Connolly, the offensive line coach, and Justin Wilcox, the defensive coordinator, finally figured it out? Eric from Indiana. Well, I don't think you finally figure it out. I think that head co- the head coach is in charge of everything and demands uh, probably or a little bit uh, more than what it had been. I think that uh, Clay Helton knows uh, a lot more football, possibly. I'm saying possibly. I'm never going to be exact uh, than the, the younger coach, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, or I consider him a younger coach as far as when it comes to football knowledge. I think he can coach the defensive line. I think he can coach the offensive line. I think he knows what the schemes are. And I think now as a head coach, you have more authority to tell somebody to get off their ass or we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Or I didn't like what we did there, so we're going to do this. Now, I'm not saying he's doing that, but it certainly looks like it. When you're assistant coach and you know some of those things need to be changed, it's pretty hard to say, hey, uh, Coach, I think Bob Connolly should be doing this on the offensive line. But Connolly will look around and say, you just worry about the quarterbacks, okay? And worry about play calling. And all of a sudden, you're out of line. So you've got to have a head coach who knows the game of football and knows it completely on every phase of it, secondary play, special teams play, everything. Has coached it or can coach it. And when you're the head coach, you can utilize that authority as far as not saying Coach Wilcox uh, maybe we ought to try to do this and say, hey, Coach, I expect you to do this type of stuff this week. Figure it out. If you can't figure it out, I'll show you how to do it. So I think this is the type of attitude I hope. Remember, don't take kindness for weakness. And what I mean by that, Coach Helton is a nice person, but that doesn't mean he can't be a football coach. And as a football player, you respect that too. When you know someone cares about you, you'll play hard for him. And if he's critical of you, you'll accept it, but you know he really cares about you. So I'm assuming that he has taken control of the chalkboard. And I think that I'm assuming that some of the changes you're seeing are because of his leadership. And I think that's the best way I can answer that question. All right. We got uh, doing an awesome job today, Coach. This is great. We'll get through all these. Um, this is from this is Brian. He says, what's, what's good, Ryan? Brian from Birmingham. The SC, the SC fan in SEC country. I predicted SC would win in convincing fashion, and they did. My next prediction, prediction is SC will win the Pac-12 championship next Saturday. You, you should have me on the show with you and Coach Hyde. Fight on. So, he wants to come on the well, show with us, Coach. Well, tell him to call in, man. <laughs> you know, we, we'll take all the help we can get here. But uh, thank you very much for calling in. Thank you very much for listening to our show. And uh, I'm not the boss here. Uh, You're the boss, coach. The guy on the other end, his name is Ryan. (laughs) So uh, I just just do what I'm told, okay? Yeah. But thank you very much for being a part of our podcast, too. Without you, we don't have a show. Yeah, thanks, Brian. He's always great writing in. 
This is from the G. He said, Happy Thanksgiving, Ryan, Coach Hyde, Dan. We are champions of the South Division with a solid shot at being the Pac-12 champs and going to the Rose Bowl. Why is the defense so good one week, uh, like versus UCLA, but horrible on another, like Oregon? I recognize there are two different types of offenses, a relatively immobile quarterback in Rosen versus Scrambler and Adams. But what would you do to create a more seamless defense to defend both a, a, both on a consistent manner? Thanks, gents, for all you do. Well, I think we just sort of answer that. Simplicity is what you need to do in execution. It's hard to cover a guy when you're not sure who you have. And uh, sometimes you have, or you're too smart than what you should be as far as a coach, and you try to throw too much to the players. The players become confused. You can tell that when the secondary against Oregon, they were looking at each other and sort of pointing, well, that's your guy. No, that's your guy. Well, what happened on that play? Well, if you listened, I think last week on the podcast, I said if I'd have been Coach Wilcox or if I was the head coach at that time, I'd have told, told Wilcox to come out of the press box Quit watching the game. You need to coach the game. Come down here and get these kids straightened away. Make the adjustments. They are confused. So confused that it's embarrassing to watch them play because they're out of position. They're confused and we're not getting it done. And then, of course, they were not putting the pressure on Vertum Adams that they needed to put on him. He had all day to throw the football you got to get after those type of guys. If you let him sit back there all day, I can complete a pass. So you have to have a philosophy. You can't play loose and not put pressure. If you're going to play man, you go after him. You've got to be able to have the front and the back end together as far as matching up and doing what's best for both ends when you call a defense. And against Oregon, it looked like to me like there was complete confusion between the front end and the back end. And it became a very embarrassing type of situation. Against UCLA, it was connected. The back end and the front end, they were playing as a team. And when they went after people, they knew that they had to get to the guy. They had to harass the Rose. They didn't get to him all the time, but they harassed him. They were in his face. And, uh, you know, and he stripped the football one time. And, 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 you know, as a quarterback, when you're a young quarterback, that sort of shakes you up. Uh, he had sort of uh he wasn't as calm and cool and collected and moved his feet around like they do in drills and films and videos when you got somebody coming down your face like they came at <laughs> They really it's a little bit difficult and I, I think that's what made the difference and good coverage also helps too. There was no breakdowns in the secondary. For a while I was worried about tackling. You know, they tried to knock you down. They wanted to kill him rather than tackle him. And for a period of time, they were killing them, and then they, 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 they wanted to continue that in a couple of plays when Perkins got away. Uh, they came into the gap, with the, which was their gap, dropped their head a couple of times, and the block didn't work. Just wrap up. Just wrap up and get the guy to the ground. That's what I always feel. Get the guy to the ground, because he can't make yards when he's on the ground. Don't try to kill him, because great athletes will make a move. And I'll tell you, this kid, this running back from Stanford, don't try to put a hit on him. Just get him to the ground because this kid's got great uh, balance. This kid's got great field awareness of what's going on. He set up his blockers. So, you know, this is a crappy kid. He's the real deal. And he wears number five, which is Reggie Bush's number, and that's why he wears it. So, man, I'll tell you what, uh, that says a lot for Reggie Bush. And I just want to know 
when Reggie Bush is going to get his Heisman Trophy back. That's, I'm going to throw that in here now. There you go. Nobody asked that question, but I'm going to throw that in for everybody, okay? Yeah, we agree with you, Coach. It says six, I just saw it today at the practice field. It says six Heisman Trophy winners. I'm like, that should say seven. And Clay Helton, I think, said seven when he was named interim coach, so I wonder if he'll try to get that painted over and change it back to seven. So. Oh, I think they should. It's time that, you know, you know, Let's take the bandages off the wounds, okay? Yeah. Let's 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 let you know you're not bleeding anymore. You get ready to be the hammer, not the nail. You know, if somebody like doesn't like, who's not going to like it? The NCAA? We can do whatever we want in our stadium. What are you talking about? Yeah. And for same and bring back our trophy. We want our trophy back. He won that on the field, okay? Who are they to ask for the trophy? Or if they did ask it, or if USC just sent it back. If I'd have been Reggie Bush, I'd have said, you come and take it from me. And if you break <laughs> into my house, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, Jesse Jesse Rodriguez. He's uh, our buddy, the U.S. Uh, Army retired. Uh, what a uh, – excuse me. What an outstanding game by the Trojan players, the coaching staff. I got a comment and would like to have Coach Hyde elaborate. For the first time in 12 games, both offensively and defensively, the fronts dominated a team like they haven't done in five years. Justin Davis and the two lines were bullies all game. To me, it seemed like uh, all the young players grew up in that game. Nico Falla was a revelation at center and should really shut people up about Bob, Bob Connolly, uh, myself included. I was just elated for the opportunity uh, the team has to play and possibly win the Pac-12 title. Love the show. Fight on from Jesse Rodriguez. Well, Sarge, let me tell you, uh, you're, you're a regular caller, and I appreciate it very much. First of all, what they did was they made it easier for Fallon. They made it easier for Rogers. What did they do a lot during that game? They took a direct snap from center. They took a direct snap. Fallon didn't have to worry about looking between his legs and going on counts that he couldn't hear or, or whatever. The only thing I'd like to see him do next is huddle up. They've changed everything so far towards becoming a better team except getting the huddle. Why stand on the line of scrimmage and get the play? and then go out and call the play on the line or whatever or get your signals. Why not huddle up and let Cody say, okay, guys, this is what the play. Any question, on two, ready, Blake, breaker, say, listen to me because we're on a live color. If they're in that defense, I'm going to audibleize to this. Let's take it a step farther because Cody operates great under center. He's an under center type of quarterback. He does a great job out of that. You've got an eye look. The backs really ran good out of an eye look. You've heard me talk about giving Justin Davis and Ronald Jones the opportunity to use their God-given ability to break the play where it is and hit the seam or break it outside. And it's better visual uh, vision for them. And finally, there's not this great rotation going on. I mean, you get in a rhythm. You've heard me say, let the backs get in a rhythm. Heck, if Derrick Henry can carry the ball 46 times, Justin Davis can carry the ball 30 top five times or whoever the back might be, and they get better and stronger as the game goes along. And they are all of a sudden putting a hit on the defensive backs rather than the defensive backs putting a hit on them. So you're getting a rhythm, and you're starting to be a football team, and you're helping yourself that you're not worried about the ball being on the ground when it comes back or the timing being off or jumping high or scooping up a fumble or or doing something before the play gets started. So they went under sender a lot during this game, which helped Fallen, helped Rodgers, and I think it really helped Cody. 
he was up there. The signals, the offensive line can hear his voice more. It's not like he's way back when there's a big crowd. So that's the first thing I would do. And also, how about the two-back set? Wasn't that great to see Vanuku and Pinner in there and pinning guys' ears back and going after him? And the more reps they get, the better blockers they're going to be. I'll tell you, they love to hit people, those two guys. And how about the play-action pass? Wasn't that beautiful? The way they went down the field, and I said, well, it's now time to run that play-action pass, but why in the corner and two in the flat? And they ran, and I called two. That's the fullback. But they didn't run with a fullback in that set, but they ran. Here they came off the power action again, and there is McNamara waiting. Say, please throw me the ball. I'm catching a cold out here. I'm all by myself. And uh, a touchdown there. So, you know, it's this type of little changes that are, makes the difference in a football team and the organization and the rhythm and getting the confidence that you need to have to be successful. All right, good stuff there, Coach. Um, here's one, a short one from Tarek. Did Porter Gust, excuse me, did Porter Gustin do well enough yesterday, this was Saturday he was talking about, to retain the starting job? And just to let you know, um, normally the rush end was uh, Scott Felix. He actually was demoted to third string, so Porter Gustin was first string, and Don Hill, who hadn't played very much, got 30 snaps in this game, the most he's ever had in the game. So he came in as at the number two guy, and then Scott Felix came in third. So they kind of mixed it up at the uh, rush end spot. You know, I, I noticed that. I saw number 51, 59, excuse me, running around. I said, 59. So I looked him up, and yeah, Hill, yeah, I remember that guy. But he was one of the ones that were first, the first uh one to decommit, if you remember, from Boise, Idaho, I remember. Yeah, Boise State. Right, right, and came down when Sarkeesian came. He had committed or verbally committed to the University of Washington and came down there. We've seen him at practice. I saw him playing, and then I thought he did a pretty good job moving around there. And I think that, you know, at the rush end, you've got to really be able to jump off the football. If you don't put pressure and come across the line of scrimmage, uh, you're not really a rush end. You've got to put pressure on people, uh, Scott Felix, uh, you've heard me mention him before. He's a very physical type of kid. Uh, he's a tough kid. I wouldn't want to fight him. He reminds you of that type of kid. But he's got, he lacks maybe the speed part of a rush in, the ability to jump off the line of scrimmage or swim past you and so on. Now, Port Augustine's a young, green football player. But you know what? These kids are growing up. If you watch Rasheen Green, if you watch Noah Jefferson, if I put the film on from the first week and the film that you saw against UCLA, they are completely different players. They are playing with more confidence every week. And Antoine Woods, I want to take my hat off to him. He has been a different player the last four or five weeks. He really has been. He's in the game. He's playing hard. Uh, he's, he's, he's being a leader. He's getting penetration. And, and this is what you got to do on the defensive side of the football. you got to play on their side of the ball. So, yeah, I think uh, Port Augustine will get more turns. I hope Hill can continue to get turns because they're both underclassmen. And Scott Felix is a, a leader, a tough guy. And in tough guy situations, he should be in the game. All right. Uh, good one there. Let's see. Let's go to Jeremiah. He says, as uh, I'm sure we all noticed, the USC secondary abandoned the zone defense and allowed our DBs to play man-to-man coverage, and we look great doing it. However... A quote taken from UCLA's starting quarterback, Josh Rosen, got me thinking. Do you think that we were playing as well as we looked, or do you think that UCLA was making us look better than we actually were? 
And what improvements are we going to need to make in order to defeat a much better Stanford team? Thanks uh, for all again. Thanks again for all you do. Fight on from Jeremiah. Well, you know, I think that's a combination. I think UCLA helped USC look pretty good. I think that they didn't really uh, bring their game. At least they certainly didn't look like it. I mean, I agree with exactly what he said. Uh, and we said it earlier in the podcast. Uh, didn't look like they showed up. In fact, you know, I didn't even think, never mind. I don't want to get to the coaching side of it. But, <laughs> but no, really, I don't. I mean, you know what I mean? You're probably thinking the same thing I am, all of you out there. But, uh, it was, but you know, teams that are aggressive can make people look bad. People that come hard and play hard every down can get someone to surrender. And in the fourth quarter, the third and fourth quarter of that game, USC was determined to win that football game. And USC saw UCLA bleeding. And they wanted to expose the wound. And they liked to see that. And they enjoyed seeing someone suffer other than themselves. And it became apparent in the fourth quarter that when they dominated the line of scrimmage, they really enjoyed it. And Justin Davis is the one that has been the key the last four weeks. He has been playing so hard and giving such an effort that that level of intensity from him has spread. It's like a fire. The flames of him have now lit a fire under other guys as you know what to get them playing at the same level. And I can see it. Receivers are blocking. Darius Rogers is making a great pass catch and making a, a, a play. He's made a play. Uh, they're spreading the ball around a little bit more. Now, what do they have to do to improve against Stanford? Well, they've got to continue what they're doing and do it better. They've got to, on the offensive side, include their tight end more in the passing game. They've got to include it more in the passing game because Stanford's going to try to take away who? The receivers, obviously. Now they have to worry more about the running game that USC has developed. But you're going to continue what you've been doing. You're going to run the football at Stanford. Now Stanford's got a great front, but so what? You've got to have a, the feeling as an offensive player, we got a great front too. And we're going to, it's going to be a straight fight. And we're going to find out, we're going to fight for every yard. You're going to have to fight with us the entire game because the bid for the Rose Bowl, the win of this football game goes to the Rose Bowl. And that's a dream come true. So they've got to be able to play at the same type of intensity offensively. They've got to add the tight end more into plays. They've got to stretch the field a little bit more. They've got to run some counter plays now because they're running everything towards the play. They're not coming back with any type of, uh, now I don't want to call them reverses, but fly up sweeps or things to hold the backside. You saw uh, Notre Dame utilize that a lot in their game. I'd love to see them add a draw to it, uh, run a draw series into the passing game for USC. Not get fancy, just add to what's going on. Eliminate the penalties like you're doing. No turnovers. Hold on to the football and keep pounding the rock and dominate the line of scrimmages. Just continue what you're doing and just do it better. I think that's what you need to do on the offensive side of the football, on the defensive side of the football, on the defensive side of the football. Don't allow them to dominate the ball. Hold on to the ball. 
you've got to get the football back. You can't let them have 80 plays, your 40 plays, or 35 minutes, your 25 minutes. It can't be that type of football game. You've got to be the guy controlling the game. And we'll see what happens because these are two good football teams playing. They're both better than what they played early in the year. They're both better football teams. Um, Stephen Virginia had a question. It said, it seems to me in the last month of the season, Helton has mostly gone away from the wide receiver screen, particularly out of the three receiver bunch formation. Stephen Mitchell was electric on these plays earlier in the season. Is there a reason why it's been abandoned? Mitchell's health, the lack of Whitney for blocking, tactical reasons. Thanks and fight on, Stephen Virginia. Well, I don't know why, but he probably feels that we can't do everything and we want to stay on schedule. And I think that if you do too many things, you've always heard me say, if I do this, I'm going to keep doing that till you stop that. And when you stop that, I know exactly what I'm going to go to. Well, you know, if you don't do anything enough, you really don't know what they what you can do and what they're stopping you at. You're just 31 flavors. I'll run this play. Okay, that's okay. It didn't work, so I won't run. I'll come back and do that later. I'll run this play or I'll run this play. You gotta have rhythm. You gotta allow your offense to get into rhythm. And uh I think that, that that's great to do occasionally, but it's not the formation generally that you've been running as a lot. So you've got to be able to run everything out of what you're doing. And you know, keep it simple. And uh, I think the bubble screens are good, but not too many of them aren't good. And I think once in a while you can line up in the formation just to see what their coverage is gonna be and run the football. So if you see it's there and they're not covering it now because you're not running it, then you run it. But if they've got it covered and they're looking at it, then leave it alone. Run something else. Run away from it. Let that be a decoy. Set your people out there. they got to cover those people. They're not going to let them stand out there. So utilize your formations. Test their defensive alignments from the formations you run. And when you run certain different formations, you're able to see how they cover you or what alignments they're going to do with certain formations. Then you're able to attack the secondary and attack the front the way you can, where the, the, the areas are for you to attack. So, yes, just don't do something to do it. Do it because there's a reason to do it. All right, here's a voicemail question for you, Coach. Hi, Ryan. This is Al from Fresno. I was at the game uh, this weekend with UCLA. Great win. Um, I think... Uh, the major factor of this game was that uh, we took the Cody factor out of the offense, uh, and that was to limit his limitations and to promote our strengths, which is the running game, allowing the offense to uh, block, offensive line to block, and also allow allow our running backs to to get yards and to you know um, keep the uh, the game consistent. Uh, I think uh, Cody's a great kid. Um, but his inability to move um, makes the, the team one-dimensional. Uh, the offense, the defense basically doesn't worry about him. Uh, the question for the coach is, with Sam Darnell and Max Brown, who gives us the best uh, chance to play against uh, Alabama and to give our offense more versatility? Thank you. Fight on. Well, thank you for calling in. Uh, basically, you know, I agree. I, I like to see Cody under center. I think Cody is not a running quarterback. You've heard me say that all the time. And I think when you play action pass and you're running the formation when he's under center, he has a lot more time to be able to see the field and throw the football. And you'd have different type of routes that you're run with play action pass. I think he's a heck of a quarterback that way. I really believe it. 
When you put him back and they know where he is, you know exactly how to find him. When you play action pass, you're in an eye or two back set, you can still drop back and throw the football. But you're not showing the formation you're going to throw the football. And I think that I think he, in fact, all of USC's quarterbacks that have been recruited are pro-style type of quarterbacks. They're not the athletic type of quarterbacks that you see at Kaiser at Notre Dame. He's not going to, Cody's not going to rush for 150 yards or run the ball 75 yards for a touchdown. That's not what he is. That's not who he is. So put him in a situation where he becomes who he is and what he does. He's a point guard in basketball. Well, that's what he is on the football team. He's a point guard. He's the guy that sets up everything. He starts it, makes the handoffs, has great fakes, uh, follows through with his fakes, pulls the ball out, makes sure everybody's communicating, throws the routes. If the route's not there, throw the ball away. Don't get sacked. Don't lose any yards. Even if you make zero yards, it's better than losing five yards. And you just keep him in that plan, and you let him execute what he can do. Don't ask him to do things he can't do because then he even knows himself he's not confident of what he's doing. He's becoming more confident in what he's doing by cutting it down and keeping it simpler. And he's going to throw the ball better. And But don't go away now. Don't get me wrong. Don't go away from the deep passes, but they're scared to death of your deep passes. But when they know they have to come up and tackle, when they know they better watch out but your back can break for a touchdown, they're not playing the pass as intensely as they would in those other formations when they know you can run the football. Um, Coach, I want to talk a little about the coaching situation. We'll do a couple questions on that, and then I think we have one more, and then we'll be done. So we'll let you go. We'll let you get you on your way. Um, Larry said, Ryan, I'm relatively new to the podcast. Just started the uh, following this year. Well, thanks, Larry, for doing that. He said, but I've really enjoyed all the detailed analysis you, Coach Hyde, and Dan Weber provide great job. Again, thanks very much. He said, my question is for Coach Hyde. While Coach Helton may not have been my first choice for the head coaching job, I'm fully behind him and the team and certainly wish them well this weekend and into next year. It's been said quite a bit this week that a big reason Clay got the job was because of how the players rallied behind him. Sua Cravens was even quoted in the paper after the win about how the players played with a bit more intensity in support of him. Well, now he has a job, so how does this motivate them from this point forward? Is there a danger they'll let uh, they'll take their foot off the gas in the future, and what can he do to find that motivation going forward? I think we can agree that the team has lacked consistency these past few years, a fact that I believe is a coaching shortfall. I sincerely hope Clay Helton can bend this trend as a coach. How do you go about doing that? Thanks, Larry and Fullerton, class of 1986. Larry, thank you very much. And I think we started the show and you said, Coach, slow down. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> and and we have that opportunity now. I'm a, I'm very bit I'm a, I'm a very much concerned about that. I'm very much concerned that I think maybe now I can always second guess things, but I think some I think maybe they could have told him he was going to be the head football coach. You've got the job, no matter what happens at Stanford for the championship game against Stanford. Uh, but let's, let's just keep going forward. Everything's working good. The kids will play hard for you because they want you to get the job. There'll be no distractions this week. I can I consider naming a head football coach like they did a distraction for the Pac-12 championship game. I think that players seem to relax. They're excited. They're 
and they should be because they 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 love Coach Helton. They want him to be the head football coach. Now, do they let up or do they just feel they've accomplished their goal? They got Coach Helton the coaching job, or does it take the pressure out of off of them? And do they play better? Well, time will tell. But I am very concerned about that because all day Monday it was Clay Helton Day, and then. I think on Wednesday today it was Victory Bell Day. Now, this is still talking about UCLA. Don't get me wrong. Hey, it's Stanford week. It's Pac-12 championship week. You might be loose and goosey, which is good. You actually don't want them to play, get too tight and play the game on Wednesday. And I have that fear, too. I don't have that fear anymore right now. I thought on Sunday I had that fear that the kids were so fired up after their victory against UCLA that they would want to play the game on Wednesday and Thursday because they felt like playing. Because it feels good to play like that. And then on Saturday, they've already played out. They're mentally drained, and they hit each other during the week, and now they don't feel like hitting again. So I'm very concerned with all the activity surrounding the football program this week before the Pac-12 championship game. Now, time will tell. It could be with this would relieve everybody, Coach Helton and the players, of all the pressure of trying to win for Coach Helton. And they might go out there more relaxed. They might put a better performance on and so on. But I was concerned and I'm still concerned on the fact that the, the, the thought of all these other things and not Stanford is distraction. And I think that that's a distraction to preparation and preparation is the exact thing you need to do to beat a free football team, that right now are they talking in the locker room? Are they talking at home? Are they talking with their parents more about Coach Helton, the victory bell, or are they talking about the Cardinals? And that is my concern this week. And I will talk about that more, too, on the pregame show. All right. Let's, uh, we got a voicemail question about coaching. Here we go. Good morning. This is a question for Coach Hyde and you. Uh, I think Clay will do a good job as a manager of the team and recruiting. But my major concern has always been assistant coaches win football games, not head coaches. Does he, Clay, have the ability to hire, network with assistant coaches? that will be able to win games and coach up the kids properly. I think that's been the big problem at USC for years. Head coaches are not improving the kids' talent and from game to game, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. I'd like to have your input on that. Thank you. Well, uh, I'll tell you, uh, I'm going to be Pat Hayden here for a minute just to uh, – try to explain the situation. If I'm at, if I'm the athletic director at USC, I call in Pat uh, Clay Helton. I call him in for an interview like he said he had a three or four hour interview at least with him. And I say, well, tell me, coach, why do you want this football job? And I want to listen to that. Next thing I'd say, how would you administer your budget? Your budget, let's just throw a figure out, $25 million. How would you administer this budget? How much would you put in for assistant coaches' salaries? How much would you put in for recruiting? How much would you put in for this? How much would you put in for that? 
and so on. But I'd want to know exactly administratively exactly what his thoughts are as far as importance, as far as what he needs surrounding him. Is it a new sled or is it a great defensive coordinator? And I'd want to know exactly where his uh, importance of, of what he needs to do to win at USC National Championship. And I'd want to know exactly after that, I'd say, well, who do you have in mind of coaches who may be a part of your staff? And I'd want to hear those names as far as that portion of it, because it's very important. Then I'd say, are you planning on being an offensive coordinator or a head coach? Right now you're a head coach offensive coordinator. What do you see your role as as far as a head football coach? Can you do both or should you do both? Then I would say, uh, I would say on, on your staff, uh, are you going to overlook their shoulder or are you going to let them do their job? And I'd want to know exactly what his thoughts are as far as administrating his staff. I would ask him about recruiting. How would you break up recruiting? How would you, who would you assign what areas and of importance? And then a very important question I would ask him, who would you keep on the current staff? I would think he'd have to tell me that. I'd want to know just who he would want to think and keep because maybe there's some people on the staff that I might have to discuss with him and say, you know, I just don't think he fits. Or I'd say, well, what about this guy? Do you want to keep him? You don't have to keep him, but I really think he does a good job, Coach. Because you're not going to tell him who to keep. Because then he's not the head football coach. You are telling the head football coach what to do. And then the ones that he decides to keep, I'd make him resign. And I would they're all going to resign. Because anyone I hire back is going to work for me. It's not going to be a holdover from Steve Sarkeesian's contract. We're going to tear up the contract. I don't care if he had a one-year or two-year or whatever. He's got to be willing to tear up the contract and I'll sign him to a new contract. But it's because I gave him the contract and Pat Hayden gave him the contract. He's not playing out or working out a contract of the past made out to somebody else. Because his loyalty... And what he does for our football program, I'm his boss, and he's working for me. I think those are the things that are the most important things in finding out about who you're going to hire and what's the backbone of your program. The number one thing are players. Players are the thing you got to have. Number two is how do you get those players? How do you keep those players? How do you have those players reach their ability levels you need them to get to. How do you get those players to graduate and then coach those players? If you get me the right players and all those things come along, I'll coach the whole damn team <laughs> because I've got better players than you do. So right. that's the process I would go through if I'd have been Pat Hayden in interviewing any coach, not Clay Helton, any coach that was up for the USC position. Great stuff. Uh, we got two quick ones. Is that cool? And we're going a little long here. We got one from a master sergeant from the United States Air Force. We have to do that. So, Barry, um, he says, what is your opinion on the criteria behind selecting line talent? Is it best? Is it the best idea to go after four- and five-star guys who have every intention of leaving after three years, or would a more blue-collar approach be more appropriate 
where you bring in guys that have more of a desire to stay at the university through years four and five, providing the program with veteran leadership and far more developed talent in their system. Well, myself, I'd like to bring in four- and five-star guys that want to stay in school, guys that want to graduate in college and work on their master's degree, have great majors, be a part of the football program as long as they can be, and they have eligibility. I think that's the best way to win. Uh, you take a look at the Stanford team. They, they don't have anybody come out early. Their whole offensive line, two of the five, I think, are fifth-year seniors. The others are seniors. I don't know how many people have come out early at Stanford, maybe a few. But I tell you, the, the, year, the difference between a year or two of a college football player is unbelievable as far as maturity, knowledge, and being a part of what you call the backbone of your program. I think it's very important to recruit people that, yes, want to play in the NFL and have the ability to play in the NFL. I think that you can't win without those, without those type of players. But I think it's also important to try to recognize and find and convince the parents and the players when you recruit them that, hey, guys, we want a marriage that lasts. We don't want a marriage that splits up in three years. We want a marriage that's going to be a part of the family here forever. We want you to get your degree. We want you to be here, get your graduate degree, do whatever you have to do, and then move on. Always have that in your back pocket. And that's what you try to always do. Now, it doesn't always happen. And it's not always the best for some kids as far as staying and playing four years of college football. But you try to make sure they understand the importance of being part of a program, academic and athletically, which you're married to. And you make a four-year commitment, if you can, to that program. Unless academically you're at a position where you're not going to make it. And if you're not going to make it academically, then sometimes it's best for that kid to leave. But will that mean he'll ever come back? And I don't know if he ever will. But I would try to, in most cases, get kids that want to stay. And I think that's the difference of being a strong, mature type of football program. All right, we've got one last one for you, Coach. Aries says, how do you think USC's defense will fare this time against Stanford's offense last time? We got handled up the middle by the running back. Do you think Justin Wilcox will have this defense ready on Saturday with a decent game plan? You know, it's funny. This, this running back, Wright, I believe his name is Wright, he scored three touchdowns against USC in the last game. Yeah. Uh, he's back. Uh, will they be able to run the football? I, I think Stanford will not give up from running the football. They will continue to run the football if they have minus yards. They're going to keep running the football, but that's what, the, that's what they live and die out of. That's, that's, their, that's who they are. That's their identity. They're a very physical type of football team, and people know that. Going into the football game, do you have any questions about that you're going to have to hit anybody? No, but they're going to hit you. you got to go into the game understanding that, hey, you might bleed a little bit in this game. Those guys like to bleed. They're old-style type of football. They call it old-style when you get in a huddle and you talk to each other and you go to the line of scrimmage, and you get in a stance, and you take your time, and you get off the ball, and you, you smack somebody. Well, you know what you're going to face, so you've got to get ready to play that type of football game. So uh, I think you've got to get ready mentally to play this type of football team. I think you've got to know what you have to do. You have to stop their run. They're, they're whole. You've got to get them 
out of their, what you call, schedule. You can't, first down is so important. If you can hold them to one yard or two yards on first down, now that second down play becomes even more important because what are they going to do on that play? They're going to try to stay on schedule. They're going to stay, try to stay on schedule. 80% of the time, 90% of the time, they're going to run the football again. Now, if they make three yards, now it's what? Third and five. What are they going to do on third and five? Now you've got them thinking, well, I don't know. We might not make it. It took us two downs to make five yards. Maybe we ought to throw the ball. So now you've got them out of their schedule. But if it's third down and one or third down and two, now you're the ones wondering what the hell they're going to do. So you want to keep them off schedule. You can't let them get that first down and six, and then it's second and six, and it's third and one. You can't have that happen. You've got to get them out of the rhythm, and then you've got to keep them guessing, too, what you're going to do, and you've got to have them try to change up what they do, start to throw the ball maybe on first down. Now it's second and ten if it's incomplete. Then if they throw again, it's third and ten if it's an incomplete. Now if you stop them on the third down, they're not going to run the ball. They're going to pass it again. Now you've got them out of what they do well. And they keep you, you know, they hold the football. And you've got to take the clock away from them. And you've got to also take their game away from them. Coach, makes sense. Great stuff. Thanks for going a little long. We had so many questions. And thanks for coming on Wednesday because of the Clay Helton permanent head coach hire thing. But we really appreciate that, Coach. And thanks for coming on and talking about all the things USC. Well, guys, I want to thank all of you for all the questions. And uh, I want to wish all of you a happy holiday season. What a great uh, season this has been as far as college football is unbelievable. And when you think about USC, you think about the Pac-12 South. They beat every single team in the Pac-12 South. They were picked to win the Pac-12 South. They did win the Pac-12 South. They were picked to win the Pac-12. And guess what? They had that opportunity. So uh, no matter how it starts, that didn't make any difference. It's how it ends. And right now, this Saturday, at Levi, Levi Stadium, hey, they're playing to go to the Rose Bowl. So what else can I tell you, Brian? Great stuff, Coach. Thank you so much. And everyone else, thanks for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. I think we're about to have a special guest tomorrow. We might have uh, Steve Mason. You know Steve, Coach. Might have him Steve come on the Mason, show. Steve Mason, the Mace Man. Yeah, so we're I've been texting with him, so hopefully he'll come on the show tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. We'll have more podcasts this week. And uh, thanks to you, Coach, and everyone else. Thanks for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Here's our little uh, sponsor message from Southern California Tickets. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.